time we read like open books And in time we ripple with the little brooks Lily like a little brook Though shallow Was always rippling Johnny Farmer is a shepherd and farm manager from County Antrim, Northern Ireland. Somewhat of a wayward sheep himself amongst natives, this farmer, both by name and nature, strays far from traditional flock care narratives, implementing his own unique approach to next-generation shepherding on Glenbush Farm. His pioneering methodology incorporates the use of groundbreaking science and genetic intentionality. As ethical practice becomes more and more the motivational crux of this earthen vocation in which he so passionately adheres to. His holistic approach to animal husbandry is relatively new to Ireland, a systemic influence of time spent amongst Kiwi farmers in the New Zealand valleys back in the early 2000s. Throughout this interview, one could be forgiven for mistaking the role of the farmer for that of the mystic, as he speaks to generations of European farmers from the ether of increased land sensitivity and the vast genetically unknown. A call to deepen and to rekindle the forgotten art of listening to the land, as opposed to that of constantly dictating to it in the continuation of reactive and habitual farming. He calls upon his peers to join him in an ancient conversation with humanity's most precious resource campaigning for sincere cultural change and attitudes towards land management. As a former National Sheep Society ambassador, vice chairman and now trustee, there are few in this island who understand the sensitivities of sheep craft better than he. It's a Saturday morning at the tail end of April and the weather by now should be turning consistently for the better. But this is Ireland, that ireful green rock on the far left-hand side of Europe there's not a tree between here and the Americas. The weather, however, is far from bettering this day. But turbulence is no strange occurrence to this part of the world, and the fervent observance of it, the staple dietary supplement of colloquial conversational content. For it is this wild elemental force that is our greatest obsession of all, challenged only recently in its popularity by the broken door that is Brexit. Today is one in which would be more fittingly found in the glooming month of February, for we are still within the throes of Storm Hannah, and no one's feeling it more than those that are literally being born from within its belly, amidst this barbaric cold front at the bottom of Slevenora Mountain. The tiny burn that usually so calmly frequents its way along the right side of this cragged farm lane near Macrahony resembles more a torrent, as yesterday's clear spring waters plough low, carrying sediment and stone from higher altitudes of Aldora, translated Dark Oak. We were living in trees when they met us They showed us each in turn How water would certainly wet us As fire would certainly burn For it is upon moments like this that the truer purposes of wild arbor culture, the oak included, are fully known and the preeminence of aesthetics dissipates in the fragility of urgency, at the imminent need of shelter, safety, and the harbouring of newborn and tender life. I've learned to celebrate the victories a bit more, the small victories you get along the way, look out there, because you forget 
you forget sometimes to appreciate what you're doing and the and not the enormity of it, but the the value of it, I suppose. The warm glow of flowering pink heather hovers just below the horizon, a solitary townland smuggled into the hillside. This is wild country, roamed upon by wild beasts, wilder men, and the modern descendants of the Romney Marsh. For these long-wooled creatures, although not from here, seem very much at home amongst Irish stone, as they speckle effortlessly across these stoic hills, fully at rest in their austere surroundings. So, I have been confined to lambing duties uh, in Macrahoney, near Armoy, on the edge of Slevenora Mountain. Um, We've been lambing sheep since the 15th of November, so we're at day 17 today. So we're about three quarters of the way through. Um, so a typical day at the minute is, well I would say I get up early, but I don't have a certain time, but I try and get up as early as possible, which could be any time from half five Six, but could stretch till half seven or eight, depending on what time. And how you feel? I've been out later the night before, but it's pretty full on. As in, probably averaging twelve, thirteen, fourteen hour days. So mm -hmm. I've been working pretty much for three weeks non-stop, and uh, so I travel over here in the morning. It takes me about half an hour, and then. I go around the lambing fields either on the jeep or jump on the quad and that takes about a couple of hours and so we just go around the lambing fields, most of the sheep are lambing outside and I just tend to any problems, a lot, a lot of the sheep tend to lamb at dawn I suppose for re less risk of predation so the lambs are up and sucked and dry before evening time and they're good to go so they're less chance to get lifted by a fox or a buzzard or something and so you say you're about three quarters of the way through the lambing, and what does that look like numbers-wise? How many sheep? Numbers-wise, it looks like about nearly 500 now at the minute. <laughs> so we've fluctuated we've in the last few years between 1,400 and 700 probably, so we're actually probably down at our lowest we have been for the last three years. But and why do you think that is? Oh, it's just a combination of different managing decisions and calling out some of the rubbish that we'd acquired over the first few years when we started. Probably practicality as well. Aye, uh, we were renting a lot of land and now we're not renting as much land but trying to do better on the land that we have. Yeah. You said you're lambing everything outside which would be quite maybe unheard of for Northern Irish sheep farmers. Um, where did that idea or that influence come from? Because I can remember when we were younger, we would lamb sheep inside, and it would be a, a massive undertaking. That and that was only three hundred sheep or one hundred fifty. I don't even know. Uh, probably hundred fifty. Hundred fifty. So, um, what's the, you know, what's the benefits or pros and cons, or where's the influence of the outside lambing coming from? Well, probably, it probably came from. I'd heard about it and knew about it and read about it and when I was at college and that and but it wasn't really practiced over here, especially not 
in a lowland situation. Some people would land out on hills, but it was very much dog and stick and very not backward maybe, but you weren't getting big results. You know, it was it was very the extreme end of the scale. Our outdoor lambing is more taking the some of the stuff from what you would have done indoors and the productivity of those similar kinds of sheep and then making it work outside so you're not actually losing productivity as such you're just doing it better with better genetics so it's not about just having a few lambs and most of them die it's not like that at all but uh, I also spent a bit of time in New Zealand it's a good few years ago now but that was probably inspirational when you remember being on a farm where they were, we arrived to visit them and they were allowing 15,000 ewes and they weren't even being assisted at all the, the, the boys were fencing and we were in sitting eating chocolate cake <laughs> so if you told somebody over here that, that they were allowing 15,000 ewes and they were in eating chocolate cake in the afternoon you'd think you're mad <laughs> doesn't have the computer but doesn't, uh, it's, just, it's just another level it's a different scale but the sheep have been bred to suit the system and the system is refined and yeah. it's by no means it's by no means ad hoc or slack it's designed and formulated to work that way yeah and has genetics become a big part of farming oh my genet genetics are everything even the genetics of the stock genetics of the grass that they're eating it's all about it's all about getting the best genetics that you can get and matching it to the climate and the situation you're in it's kind of like plants putting the wrong plants in the wrong garden can be oh, they don't fit can be disastrous um and so for you i know you ran clean sheep for a long time have you moved away from that uh we still have a few clans but we're moving more towards new zealand romney style sheep and they're not that popular in this country to be fair but um they're one of the few sheep that can lamb outdoors, unassisted, off grass, and and still have a decent number of lambs and have a decent lamb to sell. Like if 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 I knew twenty five years ago what I know now about what sheep can do outside on grass alone, it would have revolutionised the way I have been farming for the last yeah however many years. I can remember you you know over the years doing a few different projects with different farmers where you would have lambed inside and you would have been doing maybe 20 hour days sometimes yeah and you'd have been running around I guess like a headless chicken in some respects and you're firefighting and you're, the inputs are so high straw, meal so many high inputs and not necessarily getting the output, but now you can get a decent level of output with zero inputs and one man, in one block, one man can could happily lamb a thousand plus sheep and not be under any kind of real strain. He will be busy. Yeah. I am busy, <laughs> but I'm not. I, I'm in bed most nights by 11. Yeah. Including a half hour drive home. And sleeping all right. Not worrying about it. No, no, I'm not worrying about it. Yeah. You, trust, you have to trust the genetics and also trust the grass, what what grass can do. Grass is underestimated. <laughs> it is usually underestimated. 
in what sense? Farmers and their money are too easily parted. Now that seems ironic because everybody thinks farmers are tight, but farmers, myself included, historically will buy fertilizer and mill because it is the thing to do and it is the time of the year to do it. Everyone's been doing it for years. Aye, and you look over the hedge and you see somebody f- sowing fertilizer and you think, flip, and it just you're in a way you nearly get the fertilizer sower on to sow your fertilizer, yeah. regardless of how much grass you have, what the weather's like. <laughs> And you know, it's just. I can remember. I can remember when we were younger. We would. That would be the same for the silage, or for the same for bringing in grass. Whenever the neighbours were bringing in grass, it's like they knew something mystical, aye, or or magical, and they. <laughs> so then everyone brought in their grass. Aye, so it must be okay to bring in. Must be okay to bring in your grass. Okay it's, almost, silage it's almost like permission from, from your your neighbours. Mm. And. I mean, it's a big undertaking, 700 sheep, you know, some having two lambs, three lambs, four. How many How many quads have you had this year? This year we have had eight quads, about 60-something triplets. Yeah. So return of investment seem to, seems to be quite good on, on Romney. And um, at the other side then, when it comes to, to selling... To sell these lambs for obviously these lambs are going for meat. Um, we also sell try and sell breeding females. Okay. If I can convince our farmers that this is a good idea, right? Which is the most difficult part. Mm-hmm. Well, for one, if I told you that that I lambed so many hundred sheep and only less than two percent of them were assisted, well, I don't think some people wouldn't believe you. And are you passionate about being evangelical? In that sense, I'm a wee bit, I like going against the grain a wee bit, but it or or sticking your head above the parapet an odd time, but it can it can leave you a bit open to criticism and it can also leave you without leg to stand on when it all falls apart. Oh, of course, and, and this system that we're or that we've been doing hasn't necessarily worked as well up until now yeah. because of different things, knowing how much grass you need being maybe too tightly stocked we're, for example we're lambing 10 days 7 days later or 7 or 8 days later this year and that's made a massive difference today we're sitting in, in the farm office here and it's pouring outside but it's the first day it's actually rained proper since we started lambing yeah so and quite a fitting day probably to come and, and do an interview with the weather so traditionally Irish uh, so there's like 700 lambs out there that have never had rain on their back until today I mean what motivates you to do to do what you do because I mean not everyone's I mean I grew up we grew up in the same house we had at the same table but I don't have that passion or drive or love for animals that you do I mean what drives you to, to work so hard and work those big hours so it just catches you the saying goes if you if you have a job you love you'll never work a day in your life huh. and that is that is definitely where I'm at at the minute now I've done other things <coughs> don't get me wrong and not been happy and there's and as even in this job, there's, there's average days, but but you uh, been out early in the morning. It's brilliant, you know. When it's just when the sun comes up a different way in a different place, and it's it's just everything's new. I don't know. I just love. I just love working. Like there's there's very few days I ever think, uh can't be bothered going to work today, or I wish I could have a lion. I don't get me wrong, I get tired. Yeah. But 
and weary, but I don't get fed up of the work or or the job. Yeah. And there's always every year's a new challenge. If you're not if you're not into farming or animals, it's wild hard to comprehend. Yeah. What I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Or even and even farming in general is it's like a drug. It's like football. You know, so it's your hobby and your sport and, and your aye, people can obsession. People can talk about football. They can they can take a ninety minute game and they can dissect it a million different ways and they'll talk about it for the full week until the next game. Yeah. But really, it's similar to what just happened the last time. You know, I could sum it up in a paragraph, but but pundits will talk about it, and people will give their opinions, and farming's the same. Mm-hmm. It's very much, to me, the older I get. It's very much an artistry. It's almost like um, a performance, a performance art piece, or a, an installation art, art piece, or something along those lines. I always thought, wondered why my father, why our dad was so obsessed with farming and why he loved it so much. Um, and only in later years I've realised that it gives you as. It gives you it's so much it's such an independent job it gives you such a an independence you're managing livestock you're managing the ground the land you're looking after farm workers the husbandry side of it it's such a fulfilling job probably um compared to a lot of the things we tend to do or the jobs you know the sort of job i have where you know you wouldn't have that same freedom of expression when you're taking something like a seed or you're taking an animal and you're breeding it and you you end up a new life, and you the excitement of that culmination, you know, of something being born, and you growing it, and and to be fair, a lot of us don't, a lot of farmers don't take a minute to to stand, step back, and say, you know, on the day they sell their stuff, like this is what I produced, like I made this, yeah, literally made it happen, yeah, or put put it together so that would happen. Yeah. There's an awful, or a there's an awful sense of achievement in it and you have to I've learned to celebrate the victories a bit more the small victories you get along the way look at there because you forget you forget sometimes to appreciate what you're doing and the and not the enormity of it but the the value of it I suppose I mean how do you balance how do you balance the job of family life and having a having a daughter I mean does she does she like the farm, uh, like the farm? She, I think she likes it more than she cares to admit but she likes to have a run a joke though, that I'm stinking and smelly and, <laughs> and she doesn't like it and it's something that the boys do and yeah. she's not on the boys' side and but then when she's here she loves it, she knows she loves going out in the quad and yeah. one Sunday night we were splashing through puddles and she thought it was brilliant and she can't wait to get on the quad now and go for a rip up the mountain. <laughs> but uh, it's quite it's quite fitting too that behind you is a board of logistics and numbers and then down in the corner it says daddy is a little skitter so it's kind of fitting that you know she kind of has her little place even amongst the details and you obviously have quite an understanding wife then to do the job you do as well Aye, Jill's been brilliant she's not from a farm but she's she's had to embrace it over the years but there has been moments now that one particular day she said uh, all you want to do is run about and chase sheep all the time. <laughs> that was back whenever I was landscaping and I was 
running sheep on my own as a kind of a hobby, but it wasn't very lucrative yeah. enterprise. And she thought that if I had my way, I'd be doing that all day and not earning a crust. Yeah. Are you happy? I'm very happy. At the minute, I'm very happy. Things are going really well now as well with the sheep and stuff, and it's been our best lambing yet, and that's and that has made me really happy because. Um, well, that's what you're trying to you're trying to achieve. If it wasn't going as well, I probably wouldn't be as happy. Yeah, be as happy. So there's success in it as well. And so, aside from the sheep, um, I know you're quite passionate about the dogs as well. That's been a journey, hasn't it? It's been a running joke with me and you, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it started to come good as well after all these years. You're I mean, you're trying to train dogs for maybe twenty years now. Oh, yeah, no, I haven't been very successful or good at it. <laughs> I know, but I mean, and I've given up and started again and given up and started again. But you are passionate about it. I mean, you go to dog sales across the water. and How many dogs do you have at the minute? I've got, I've got a lot of young dogs. I've got two, three young dogs and one and I've one coming from Donegal next week. So four or five young dogs and then I've got an older dog. Then I've got a dog in for training. But I've mixed much of stuff. But I can by no means, a, by no means a a proper dog man but I aspire to be that but I'll get there I'm on the I'm on the journey I've sold a couple of dogs with decent money there young dogs so uh, I know I can do it I've, a lot of it's about application patience and time but which I don't have a lot of but of course also it's a it's a sad little side business isn't it which oh, a farmer always farmer always has two businesses going at one time I need a couple of income streams streams of income but at least now I was never shepherd you know I've been shepherding now full time for about four years so the two things go hand in hand, so we can take my dogs out, and because we've centralised everything up to the farm of Glenbush here, and I'm going to probably keep my dogs up here from now on because they'll be here all the time. And that'll change things around with the dogs. Now the dogs are a massive passion between dogs and sheep and family. There's not much else, is there? <laughs> what else? What else do you need? Yeah, yeah. What else do you need? And then the dog, the dog thing. There's the sheep and farmer thing, and then the dog thing brings in another whole fabric of people into your life that are like, you know, like horse trainers or... Of course. Well, they yeah. all have their... Different passions. Uh, there's sheep farmers, but then there's dogmen as well, and dogmen are different than... Dogmen aren't necessarily sheep farmers, or well, they can be so both. you can be a dogman, but not a sheep man. Uh, you can't, you'd wonder how high or why, but you can be high. But the dogmen are... Dogmen are notorious. And can you think of any interesting characters in particular? In the dog world? Either either the dog or the sheep world. I know you had an interesting incident on the farm with, with a dog called Amy. And the vet student? Yeah, yeah. I when I had a vet, I had a vet student called Amy, but unfortunately the dog is also called Amy. <laughs> Not, it wasn't named by me. But uh, one particular day I was out in the front yard roaring at the dog when she went missing or disappeared or no she wouldn't stop she wouldn't stop she wouldn't lie down so i'm ro outside roaring amy amy would you ever lie down <laughs> and then the vet shouldn't pop her head through the door in a panic <laughs> and then i was like no not you not you and then from then on for the rest of the fortnight i had to refer to the dog as amy the dog <laughs> uh, rather than amy the human uh, i guess it was a better a better uh a better idea. Oh, it's a good crack now. <sighs> so in, in this room there, there's uh, a set of bunk beds, uh, a kettle, a toaster, 
everything you would need to potentially survive. Um, is your job a solitary one? I know at Lamb Town it's a bit solitary, but because of where, we, where we're operating and live, where you're always driving, you're going to, dropping into shops and you're seeing people, but it can be solitary. You can spend the whole day without seeing anybody, that's for sure, but yeah. at least you're going to see somebody on the way home or something. Yeah. You're, not, you're not in a wilderness. But the saltiness is good, like. And there's also no no phone signal up here, so I mean, if you fell off the quad, it could be a couple of hours before somebody left. It about could you. be tomorrow morning, actually, because <laughs> Jill wouldn't be too worried if I didn't come home. Yeah, to the middle of the night. Ah, uh, to the middle of the night. It's been known to happen, but uh, the thing, the only thing about it is, when you're up here working, you don't you don't see the time going on. It's like a race against the clock, if you yeah, like. Yeah. You know what? You definitely. It's a if you want to waste some time or pass a day, start lambing sheep. That's the best way to get rid of some hours. <laughs> for definite. And and you just eat when you're hungry and stuff like that. You don't. Yeah, you live in the moment. Aye. I think that that's potentially maybe. To me, I think about when I think about this idea of eternity. I think eternity. Now is, living life without. The knowledge of time or looking at the clock where you can just completely live in the eternal moment of the minute sounds good to me i like i like that phrase about the day that's in the day have you heard that before the day that's in it yeah so it's the, same. the quality of the day that's in the day yeah so you have a day in it inside of a day so um so st patrick's day is the day in the day yes so i like to think sometimes that we should live every day like for the day that's in it, if that makes, if that makes sense. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to give the day time as well. If you know, you know, you meet people. You you know sometimes you, you think you can't, you don't have time to talk, or you don't have time to do something a certain thing. Yeah. But that's life, you know. And and so without going around about social media. But the f- mobile phone's so invasive now that that even in them solitary moments that are good and the things that are just special, then the first thing you tend to do is take a Snapchat of it. <laughs> yeah, you feel rather than just let it be. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people talking about that right now. It's it's kind of a hot topic. I have this term that I talk about: um, Earth knowledge. I guess it comes from growing up on a farm and the weird and strange knowledge that that I have. For example, whenever we went out there to check sheep, now I haven't worked with sheep in about maybe 15, 15, 20 years. And we were driving through the flock and I was able to point out to you a sheep that was lambing just by the way she looked, the way she was standing, the way she was standing, posture uh, you don't lose it like you don't you don't lose that you don't lose that knowledge farming is a rich source of metaphor for life sometimes i think that if you grew up on a farm you have a metaphor metaphor for every situation and you understand so many different realms of life that you can never be stuck for creativity or a metaphor or to see the beauty and well i because for for example i'm i'm not i'm not uh, minimalizing anybody's loss or anything, but 
people whose dog dies and they never you know they never get over it but me and you you faced death when you were about four or five yeah and like ruby is five and she she'll just say was that one dead yeah she doesn't start to cry or worry about that it's dead yeah but she might ask you something like why is his eye still open <laughs> but like so she's figuring out now the animals are precious and important but they're they die and they're they're animals yeah and you know but she, so someday she's not going to have to encounter death of an animal or even a person for that matter whenever she's 15 and I'd like to think that she's more rounded if that makes sense yeah we minimalize and she's also seen birth she's pulled a lamb from a yo you know you know you, you shouldn't underestimate that no no I mean I wouldn't trade as much as I you know think back to our childhood and and very much think about the labor and the work and, and the hardness and the the difficulty of the time when all I really wanted to do was go inside and watch the A team on a Saturday afternoon. As much as all that is, you know, it's still there for me. Um, I am very thankful for the opportunity to grow up on, on in the country and in the fun of farm and walking walking rivers and 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 understanding the land and also just driving about in tractors and because we used to go to play tennis in the tractor and football and. Snooker. Oh, we weren't wise, but sure. Two o'clock in the morning, you'd hear our tractor rolling up the road from a friend's house. But sure, it was a great advantage then, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Sixteen years everybody old. Everybody else, and everybody else, and we were sixteen. We're, were on bikes. On bike on their bicycles, and we were yeah, we were, we were going around on the tractor. But like the other night, we were driving along in the quad, and there was a lamb had, like an infection in a joint or hurt its shoulder or something. I can't remember, but it was lying struggling to get up and. Ruby spotted it and we had to go over and she jumped off the quad and went and, and helped it up. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So already she sees things and she knows what to do and, yeah. you know, I think that's great life lessons. Like, well, she, she'll probably never farm, I don't think. Well, she might, I don't know. You know, but, uh, and if she does, good. And if she doesn't, that's okay too. But, but at least she knows what it's about. She knows what it is and the... And also the value of producing food. Probably now, at this stage of life, I watch a lot of stuff about more holistic methods of farming, which is very against what I would have originally thought about. But, you know, if, if we are custodians of the land, if we have the dominion over it, right, well then we need to be... You know, some stuff's not okay, I... I think just some stuff is not okay. And modern farm practices, why do we need food and all? I think some uh, fear, a fear someday that me and we, the royal we, will be answerable for, for how we treated the tree of the land. How we treated the land. People shouldn't be hungry. Yeah. 
you know, the river shouldn't be polluted. Soil shouldn't be blown away. Yeah. There shouldn't be barriers. There shouldn't be scrub. A lot of that is, is man's way of changing things, manipulating things. For, and for profit. F for what he thought was profit, but actually undermining the very thing that was giving him the stuff in the first place, which was the soil and the air and the water. Do you know what I mean? There's a fellow I follow him a lot on YouTube and some of the things that he's done, you know, on a farm that, that had no soil on it and he's built up organic matter. Now we're blessed in this part of the world where we have loads of organic matter, but he, he was on a place where the neighbors said, you know, it literally couldn't be farmed and he's totally turned it around and he's an inspirational man. A boy called Joel Salatin. Right. What country? America. America. Yeah. Um, very gracious, very genuine man and very, very methodical and very, what's the word? He just, he just knows what he wants to do and he seems to know the way to go about it, but without a massive investment or infrastructure. Yeah. And he's very and he's very efficient and he's very profitable alongside being very uh environmentally friendly if, or or very uh, ethical ethical is the word yeah and so just in re closing um what's your hope for northern ireland or or even farming in northern ireland in the next in your lifetime what do you hope to see I fear, I, I would fear that Northern Ireland, the subsidy system in general is going to disappear. It may, be, it may swing around onto environmental benefits, but I'm pretty sure that farming could be in for a tough time in terms of it will have to stand on its own two feet. But I would hope that the only way it could stand on its own two feet is if people adopt practices and methods that A are profitable and B are ethical and think about how they can get the best resource from the land, the best output from the land without without costing or destroying the place. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now that sounds very tree huggy kind of language, but it doesn't have to be unprofitable or, or, or low output necessarily. But but, farming has lost sight. It has lost sight of where it's going and where it has come from. So my earlier point of farmers being too easily parted from their money, if someday on a trade stand at the Balmoral Show tells a farmer that he can sell him this granule or this drench that'll do x y and z we're too quick to go and buy that write the check rather than go back and think well hang on a minute the reason why my soil isn't doing this is because i haven't put any lime on it for 10 years i haven't tested the ph um i've been driving on it with heavy machinery mm -hmm. you know i've been 
I've been spreading slurry on it every turn around mm. because I've got far too many cattle in the shed when I actually need less cattle or more land or I should be buying cattle that, that don't need to be in the shed being fed that can actually eat grass and produce meat. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think farming has to change. See the land there that are weak old and go well, the rain's not really bothering them. Yeah, they're about four days, five days behind them. Aye, they need to be strong. I suppose a land born a day like that never gets dry. No, but a good strong land will be alright. I left lands up there this morning that were newly born. Triplets are mostly dropping off, I would think. But if there's a week set triplets, you know, like when they're good, like they're about a week old. But some of these sheep are smarter here, getting in again this ditch. Steels are stupid too, like as I said, triplets are like oh, they're, they're strong. You know, that you seems to be making a real good job of them. They're strong, aren't they? Where is there, my? Lamb in there again, the ditch high, and as long as it's got milk in his belly, it'll be grand. So it's not just crows, it's seagulls and crows. Seagulls are bad, and crow, grey crows, I seagulls can be the worst. But... How many acres on this farm? Aye. Aye, for that's what I mean, James was saying, even, I have a, I have a, a British Suffolk as well that come out of Aberdeenshire, the Logie Derno, you know, as well. I would have bought rams off them time to time, but uh, he is throwing black lambs and lambs with completely black skins. But your ram there and that other ram he's run with, well, I know, I know the other ram's lambs because he, the other boy is quarter New Zealand, quarter quarter British and then he's he's also he's like quarter Charlie quarter Texel. It was a Derno one it was a Derno one of Suffolk, a half New Zealand Suffolk Ram actually it was but so he's actually he's only like a, a brown faced, he's not even black, he's a brown faced ram. Big, big ram, big long ram. But he's throwing lambs that are funny, you know, like like sprickly and nearly like a you know like a like a a, a fawny kind of pale brown, you know, and, and a lot of white and a lot of pale brown on their legs. We have taken things that worked and twisted them and pigeonholed them now where they only work under a certain circumstance and now we're too far down this road that it's very hard to get back. So you have cows that are kept inside all year round. I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem normal. Yeah, they never see daylight. It's just. And it's not that they're not looked after. They are, and the the welfare of them is, is really good, but that farm, 
cannot physically sustain the amount of cattle that is on it, right? So they go and they they take inputs from somebody else's farm that's 50 miles away and then they add diesel cost to that and they end up with this big turnover of money with a margin, don't get me wrong, there's profit in it, but it's unsustainable. Mm. You know, uh, and our our soya, our, pro- our main protein source for livestock is soya, comes from South America. Mm. Could you honestly tell me that when the earth was designed and created, that there would have to be soya come from the other side of the world to this side of the world to maintain a livestock system. No. The livestock ate the grass, got fat, and killed it and they ate it. Mm. But now our livestock can't. It can't produce mm. enough fat off grass alone. It's genetically engineered and farmed to need high protein, high energy diets that can only come through a food source. And because we can't grow soy or you know, we have to import from the other side of the world. So that means, one, if there's not enough soya, you can't get it, which doesn't very often happen. But if it's in, if there's bad weather in South America, soya price goes up. So you've absolutely no control over that. So immediately your margin goes down because of something that happens on the other side of the world. Mm. That's not, that is not, uh, it's not sustainable. Dust. I grew up in the heart of Ulster, a sheep farmer's son, a childhood composed in the woodlands about Bally Macpherson, a diminutive town land on the brow of a hill at the feet of Slave Gallion, and in a time when winds of estrangement blew clamorously in the north of Ireland and conflict collapsed once coalesced rural communities. It was as if the roots of the trees alone bore together these municipal dislocated soils. The groves perhaps the only secluded earth left unsullied from oppositional primary colours. For when societal pleasantries dissipated and trust was untenanted, it was in amongst wild petunia and pine cones that I found myself again, outside of synthetically divided societal systems and tabernacles of tribalism and walk shallow rivers under low-flying deciduous canopies, climb mountain ash and shake the dust off conifers, picking pine needles endlessly out of my shoelaces before church on Sunday. I'd carve new-fashioned sticks into old-fashioned picks for imaginary childhood battles with wild beasts, with boar, with folk and lore, retracing the steps of my youth on along ryegrass roads, incubating in me that veneration for the hinterland, granting a ceaseless consociation with those upright wooden giants who converse without speech. And so whilst navigating language and its tempered use in a post-conflict clannish society, it has been the forest and its spirit of neutrality that has been my resting place, a storehouse of artistic texture, shape, pigment and tone, where I am sustained endlessly by measures of green.